Verulam Sports. Hello again and welcome to Verulam Sport Podcasting with your host, Tony Rice. Uh, I tell you what, I bet as a sports fan, you are loving life right about now. We are in the midst of the uh, world-famous Tour de France, talking cycling. We have a fantastic culture of Olympic success in that fantastic sport. Our two most storied and uh, successful Olympians all time are two knights of the realm, Sir Chris Hoy and Sir Bradley Wiggins, cyclist extremist they are. Now to give us an idea of the exciting world of cycling. It's a pleasure to welcome to Verum Sports, Andy Helm from Ride 25, and also a powerful ambassador for their offshoot charity, One More Child. Andy, welcome to Verum Sports. How are you? Hi, I'm very well indeed. Cheers. A pleasure. Great to speak with you. Um, Again, I must confess... I'm not a humongous cycling fan as a general rule, but I'm going to tell you what, I've been really into the Tour de France this year. And the reason being is very personal. My mum and dad have a little place out in Brittany and the tour actually swept past it. And if you freeze frame, I think it was three hour and 24 minutes into, I think it was event two, ride two in that Brittany leg. Um, you see the roof of their house, which for our family was a very pleasing moment. But just frame it for us. Tour de France, world famous. We're doing well in it. Uh, Cavendish maybe the most under-recognized sports person we have here in the UK. So give me an insight into how exciting the world of cycling is and the momentum that it's building. Uh, well, it's been building for quite some time from being a, uh, a minority sport, um, certainly in Britain, yep. 40 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, it is now uh, one of the biggest participation sports uh, to the point that it's, I think there are certain areas of the country, Surrey, for instance, mm-hmm. where uh, the roads are full. They yes. are full of cyclists, um, much to the chagrin of a lot of locals. They, they see this as a, almost an invasion. But I'm looking at a multicultural, mm-hmm. multi-socio-economic mm-hmm. Uh, sport with um, there's arguments whether there are barriers to entry, mm-hmm. need some equipment. Mm-hmm. But in reality, um, I'm looking at who's getting into the sport. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be a member of a club. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, that has all been fueled by something. Um, the Olympics, the Tour de France successes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we go back a stage further to Chris Boardman's career himself before he became yep. the czar of cycling and mm-hmm. Manchester's um, main man when it comes to that and right at the forefront of uh, policy advising. I'm really then, glad you brought up Boardman there because obviously the names to conjure with, even for somebody of me, such as me who loves sport but isn't necessarily a, mic, a massive cycle head, are those two knights of the realm. Uh, and of course, we recognize in terms of ins- instilling a culture of success which ripples um, Sir Brailsford as well. But there you mentioned Boardman. I think in my head, 92 Olympics Barcelona and his innovative bike. You've got a little theory, which I think has credence, that he was indeed maybe the instrumentalist in this cycling boom. Explain a little bit more. Well, I do. I don't think without his, his gold medal and, and also the way that piqued interest in yeah, uh, the, lo- the Lotus bike and the fact mm. that it was a British ensemble that... Yes. that 
put together the technology and I thought think people bought into that. Mm. Some people go, oh, oh, it's about the bike. Mm. But actually, it was a British success story. Mm. I, I genuinely don't think without him, uh, Manchester wouldn't have mm. got its velodrome, wouldn't have got the Commonwealth Games yep. necessarily. It's that spiral you're talking about. It's little shoots that mm. lead to success. Um, you know, British Cycling is now based in Manchester. Yep. The velodrome is the, is, is the home of mm -hmm. everything. Um, which is a really important step, regional. Mm -hmm. Now you look at the subsequent success stories. Yep. Uh, most of them are Northwest based. Mm -hmm. So it proves that where you have the center of excellence mm -hmm. creates something. It creates um, impetus and momentum, doesn't it? And one of the things that I find really fascinating from my insights as I've had for over four years, talking to elite level athletes and also crucially the importance of sports at a grassroots level, is that wonderful dynamic relationship between the two. When there is that poster boy, maybe let's say Boardman initially, certainly from the Northwest Sir Bradley Wiggins of late, it does inspire, it makes you go all of a sudden, that could be me. That could be me and I want to try that. And that filters down and you have this wonderful dynamic. And before you know it, we'll call it a culture of success. So just establish that model and explain the challenges, nevertheless, of mapping that out as you're trying to do right across our planet from a cycling perspective. Well, there are, there are challenges because we, I, we've mentioned the phrase barriers to entry. Mm -hmm. A lot of the time that will be if you want to take up a sport and be yep. successful at the sport. Um, your competitors don't want you to join in. Because Surely not. Surely there isn't a <laughs> culture of wanting to hoard and retain success for just a small number. Uh, absolutely so. So the Europeans um, were very good at keeping the, the Brits out for, for decades. Mm -hmm. We had um, a few brave souls who mm -hmm. took themselves to the continent and fought against that system and mm -hmm. the Simpsons of the world in the 60s. Um, but, but it was odd names um, right through. And that is much because if you were Dutch or French, mm -hmm. Belgians, you had a sport mm -hmm. that was your national sport. We, we don't particularly want to encourage. Mm -hmm. um, more countries coming along um, with certain disciplines, certainly on the track even. Yep. Um, a very closed shop. Mm. Um, now, I find this a weird paradox, you know. I find this a really weird paradox because all the sports, uh, long, long, many moons ago, is hand in glove with a business. And we get that. We understand it. And the paradox is everybody, I think, understands that we are in a global world. And if you can capture new markets, then that's going to be financially beneficial. But by well, the token, there's that resistance, isn't there, to truly embracing that. Give me an idea of what you're experiencing and helping alleviate when it comes to the continent of Africa and cycling. Yeah, well, it, it's been an, an insight and what I think we're all fully aware of the success of um, East African middle distance runners. Absolutely. To absolutely dominate. And some people will argue against genetic mm -hmm. um predilection to to success there but i think um 
I think you have to realize that considering their resources, considering mm -hmm. perhaps even their nutrition basis, mm -hmm. and without a culture mm -hmm. originally of sport, yep. they will have run, they will have covered distances, and they've achieved success. So we have, um, through, our, through our charity that we, we had, which was a sports-based school mm -hmm. in Uganda, mm -hmm. um, and we raised, we raised the money through Ride 25 mm -hmm. for, for that school. We thought it was as well that we, we got them cycling mm -hmm. as much as playing football, Indeed. Um, netball, and chess were their success stories beforehand. And just take anyway, us back to those cycling. early days here, Andy, because you used that yeah. key phrase there, a barrier to entry. Ultimately, the beauty of the beautiful game universally, which is why I think it will always be the universally most loved sport, is its simplicity. You know, you just need a circular thing and two things to operate as goals and you're yeah. playing. Whereas cycling, quite frankly, you do need a, a, a bike and obviously bikes aren't created equally, are they? No, they're not. And yes, you only need jumpers for posts, um, which we've all done. And um, we've perhaps all ridden some rubbish bikes in our time, but these really were, uh, we started mm. with with pieces of machinery yeah. that we would have left in the skip in Britain. Yeah. We wouldn't have even dragged it out. No, um, though, sorry to cut you short there. Just give me an insight when you did show them what you would refer to as and what we'd understand here in the West as inadequate bikes. Give me a sense of the joy, though, that was experienced and appreciated by those individuals in Uganda when they were experiencing this quote unquote rubbish bike for the first time. Uh, the idea that somebody was giving them anything um, or facilitating the fact that we first met them, the first time I met mm. a lot of the school kids that we deal with um who happened to be it's an orphanage as well so mm -hmm. there's a backstory there um driven in a minibus 80ks out to meet us mm. from the airport uh, that was an adventure in itself for them to be in a minibus and this these skipped fines were all <laughs> lashed to the roof of the minibus um we're talking no gears or mm -hmm. brakes that didn't <laughs> needed two hands to I'm, I'm pitching something of a death trap here but it's a wonderful well, story a couple that didn't really have what you and i would call a saddle <laughs> um and uh we they they rode them the 80 kilometers back to the the village that day um with us on our western lightweight aluminium bikes which they didn't know at the time that we were taking out to uh donate mm. um and that, that that was the the start of the mm -hmm. the cycling club mm. uh really some some bikes didn't manage the journey they were that, <laughs> they were that bad but uh the perseverance was sure. was unbelievable and immediately we could see mm -hmm. just the physique mm -hmm. uh the determination mm -hmm. the idea that it was something they could participate mm -hmm. in uh and, and you know it would have been us that was spotting mm -hmm. that they could perhaps excel at this they they just thought it was a fun day out on a on a new contraption um, and what an adventure what a journey and it carries on a pace and i know you're super passionate about it i recognize it as a mission for you andy just give me an idea uh, because again we talk about perception and that relationship between the elite and the grassroots 
to what extent or how far down the road are we where we may have a uh, representative of the African continent winning that world-famed Tour de France? Well, it's taken a long time, even with, even with the wealth that can be surrounds South African sport. This is the example. We had our very first black South African mm -hmm. rider in the Tour de France this year. Mm -hmm. Now that's taken 10 years of mm. dimension data and, and Quebec are different mm -hmm. formats of a team that's competed at Tour de France mm -hmm. to have their first coloured representative, which that says everything. That even though the sponsorship there, the nominally mm -hmm. the powerhouse of African cycling, it's taken that long. And I would still say that's that's false barriers, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, politics. Um, we look at uh, Eritrea, Kenya countries that have, have been a bit more proactive in the cycling they have they now have professional cyclists um they are creeping into the more senior teams rather mm -hmm. than just the senior teams um they will if they're given the chances uh be as successful mm -hmm. as they have been at middle distance running mm -hmm. we are talking I don't, I, it, it, it's hard to put a time frame mm -hmm. uh, but let's say the next 10 years that we will have an absolute challenger uh, that could be quicker mm. if the barriers were stripped out. We're talking about funding and logistics, yep. but, but also um, a lot of people make a lot of very good noises about in the same way that the likes of cricket mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, claim to always want to be going to new territories and new yep. countries. But some of it, I think, is hyperbole and yes saying the right thing I, I, you know i think we mentioned before the, the, the cricket example where they then reduce the number yep. of countries at certain competitions the there's there's a contradiction Again, I, I find this uh, unfathomable, really, that in 2021, we are still in an era where there is this chatter this PR drive for all sports to want to be perceived as integrating, as considering the global perspective. Yet, for, you use the great illustration of cricket. Uh, I also think it uh, pans into, for instance, rugby union. When I consider like the diaspora of, for instance, the um, likes of the Samoans, the Tongans, the, uh, the, uh, the Pacific Islands, if they were possibly able to retain their core uh, talent and not have those distributed around the world, there would be a world champion from Tonga, no questions about it. So again, I find this across all sports a worry, whereby, yeah, progress is being made, let's not forget it. Yeah, we're making big, lovely noises about integration, but the reality seems to me not quite there, not even close yet. No, 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 and then you know the, the rugby example is an example of hypocrisy as well. Mm -hmm. um, just you know, New Zealand, Australia, and even even Britain ourselves were quite happy to uh, naturalise yes. these players, keep them away from their own teams. Mm -hmm. uh, we reduce, we constantly reduce the years of naturalisation mm -hmm. that are required. Well, yes, some of that might be to the benefit of the player. Mm -hmm economically to stay within mm -hmm. the, the, the country that's adopted them but really it's to so we can get them on boarded quicker <laughs> but this yeah. is our world and we can only chip 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 away at it 
from that point of view, that's your own mission, coming back to spreading the love of cycling and instilling it uh, across the world. Andy, what's next? What's the next focus? Um, the next focus is, is that spreading, um, you know, this, this ragtag cycle team that mm -hmm. we, we set up within three years has mm -hmm. become the de facto Ugandan national youth team. Um, as Uganda doesn't have, didn't have a cycling federation mm -hmm. itself. It's not a country that's particularly sports oriented in that sense, even though that's madness because they are that East African physique that yes. could be, it's just um, what happens when you have the power <laughs> uh, dictatorships that, that we see, mm -hmm. um, it gets, something gets lost. Mm -hmm. um, but without any government support, uh, we started entering races in mm -hmm. Uganda and Kenya, and the kids started winning. Nice. So they started getting noticed to the point where we were able to send um, five of them to the African Nations uh, Championships in Cairo earlier this year. Uh, we pretty much the only juniors that went were our charity. How amazing is that? Just remind me of that again. It was, so from scratch, from this moment, whereby basically um, from, this, from the tip, you introduce the wonderful sports of cycling to this African nation. Here at Uganda, we're talking, and all of a sudden, five at the junior level. I mean, Andy, that's amazing. Well, it is amazing. What's amazing for their life story is that as orphans, um, being taken off the street, off mm -hmm. of schooling, and the ethos of sport, um, they had to, they pretty much had to participate in mm -hmm. sport if they were going to be taken on board. Um, they had no chance of ever having a passport or a mm -hmm. visa, they had no documentation. So getting them to, to Cairo, um, even if they never cycled another a day their lives would be changed by having documentation of passports of course the nature of it the government suddenly when they found out we'd qualified for a championship were were interested in helping at this once stage. again i'm shocked here Andy. You, you you're absolutely shocking me to my core that out of nowhere all of a sudden you and the team there at ride 25 and the charity one more child have put in all this groundwork you've developed you've cultivated you've enriched young people's lives and then out of the blue, the government wants to get involved. Surely not, Andy. I can't believe this. Yeah, well, we were a little bit wary because there had been a couple of past success stories with with uh, with the chess players from the okay. school who uh, were offered chances to go abroad. And unfortunately, sort of the day before the flight, the, the officials uh, got their, dusted their blazers off and mm. said, well, they needed to go as well. So it'd be five flights that needed to be paid for mm. rather than one. And suddenly it becomes impossible mm. um so we were wary so uh, pretty much we've funded most of this ourselves from the members of ride 25 or and and, and myself um to 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 give these opportunities because we fully we fully believe they are and actually their performances mm. at the african nations were were absolutely stunning um, considering it was their first international competitions. 
Just, um, Andy, just give me an idea here. Because this is truly awesome. Is there anybody in particular that we maybe should keep, be keeping a close eye of as, as fans of sports who want to impress our friends nice and early and say, listen, this one's the one to watch? Is there any particular star slash stars that we should be getting into our radars? Well, we have, we have two, two of the six elite riders, as we, as we are calling them. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them has just come back from a, on, the, on the back of their success in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Um, they were noticed by the UCI, which is the governing body of, of all cycling. Mm-hmm. And uh, John Adotto, mm-hmm. uh, who's 18, uh, has just been out in Cape Town for six weeks on a UCI official world championship training camp. Uh, he's just returned. Uh, and within this last week, uh, him and uh, the young lady Mary, Mary Aleppa, mm-hmm. have uh, been given their full ticket to the Junior World Championships. How amazing, uh, Andy. How amazing. Look, I, I get the sense that this is something of a massive passion. It's a real drive for you. And I guess whilst the challenges you get better than I do uh, must be on occasion frustrating, I think it must be just intrinsically phenomenal to go through this journey, to witness these successes. But just give me a sense of just how edifying it is to right now be reaping the rewards of all of this will that you guys at Ride 25 have applied. I just think it's even easier to, to see that because of the um, the opportunities it gives. It's not just some rich middle class Western mm-hmm. kid that's been driven around to every event by their mm-hmm. parents, uh, and you know, which you know, that 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 is the wealth we make those choices in, in absolutely the Western world. Britain. You know, has more world champions at more sports than nearly anywhere you, or you look at middle-aged sport we're the ones that go to all the the masters world championships absolutely because we have that wealth to move around uh, whether it's tennis or cycling or um, windsurfing or yeah sport, we're always the ones that rock up with the most competitors um it's edifying because we can see just um how inspiring mm. this is uh, John comes back from the training camp mm. and is immediately instructing the younger ones, but Brilliant. they can all see it. You know, in cynical terms, you might say, oh, people can see a ticket out. Well, well, you can in a, in a country where the, our stated aim originally was to get people to university, which yep. would have been phenomenal. Mm. There's, four, there's 40, 50% graduate unemployment rate yep. in Uganda itself. So that's not necessarily a ticket anywhere. Um, and we can't make them all professional cyclists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what we can do is absolutely inspire them. They say, and you know, travel broadens the of course. mind. We're seeing that. We're given opportunities here. But it, it's the core that runs down then through the rest of the school to make them realize what can be achieved. Do not get me wrong. Sure. We talk about physique, etc., but an awful lot of hard work that we, we have a, a, a manager on site of the, the whole charity mm-hmm. in uh, Ginger, Uganda, Bosco, who uh, drives them hard, yes. <laughs> Drive, drives yes. them very hard with their training and coaching. And that's what's paying dividends. But um, 
It makes me think of that famous one that to use a South African sporting icon, Gary Player. I think he was actually quoting an American president, to be fair. But basically, it's one of my favourites and most inspiring kind of uh, sporting uh, elements. It was once upon a time asked by some uh, very clever journalist or some such, so Gary, how come you're getting the rub of the green? How come you're getting so fortunate? And Gary retorts, I'm sure you know it. It's funny, the harder I work, the luckier I get. I love that dynamic. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's, um, you know, within a, within any particular event, you can get you can get a bit lucky, and that might be because of your competitor's misfortune. Yeah. But to to put yourself in that competition in the first place takes a, a lot of hard work. Um, I'm absolutely inspired you know, by this whole journey, Andy. And I love you look at a wild card entry to an event. People might might get that somehow by mm. luck, but it's what you do with that. Is, wild card entry is a superb critical mission for however you tr choose to apply your particular skills in life and um, what i love there andy is that in microcosm we spoke haven't we about the ripple effect between the poster child be that a chris boardman in britain or a uh, bradley wiggins and then the ripple effect to the to the youth the next generation but beyond and below that there a key message that i took from what you've just explained which i'd like you to elaborate on is that as you say, not everybody with the greatest will in the world, even though you could be terribly inspired, can become that elite level athlete. It's just a fact of nature. But talk to me a little bit about the values of discipline, of uh, team spirit, that participation in all sports, cycling here, will instill and will therefore enrich everybody's lives, irrespective of the fact that they can't necessarily become you know, the next Chris Boardman. Uh, you, you you can't and that is that quite well often will be physique or lack of lack of injury etc. Mm -hmm. But um, you know in, for the very specific example we're looking at that it will create a culture where um, they may become cycle mechanics or, indeed um, or couriers or there's there's lots of spin-offs that they would never have thought about and that journalists passion. journalists andy you know I, I tell you the broadcasters of the world yeah and if 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 that's the inspiration that motivates we all need motivation mm -hmm. entrepreneurs a lot of our members are very successful entrepreneurs mm -hmm. um, you don't do that by accident. You are motivated by an idea or a drive to something and something has to keep you mm. uh, motivated. Um, and, I, I, you know, whether it's entrepreneurial spirit or whether it's sport, I do think sometimes if you've had to try harder uh, from, a, from a hardship upbringing, yeah. Um, and you are more likely to succeed than if you've been spoon-fed mm. and I say always had that lift mm. somewhere and always had good nutrition etc 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 all the best equipment bought for you mm -hmm. we were always we were always taught as as juniors to train heavy mm. you weren't allowed out on a on your time trial bike or a, a, a race bike mm -hmm. uh, you at home you had to you had to train the hard way um and i think that works mm -hmm. that, that that culture um it's it's about doing the groundwork early mm -hmm. and instilling it whether it's team or individual mm -hmm. everybody 
everybody used to think of it cycling as an individual sport. You know, the Tour de France winner mm. is an individual. As the TV coverage over the years has yep. shown more, people start to realize that in pretty much every discipline, it is the ultimate team sport. Uh, everybody knows the peloton, the yep. big group of people, but within a six-hour race, your eight or nine members of your team are all used up in different jobs. Because I mentioned Cavendish at the start of this piece, I think arguably one of our most underrated sports stars. And again, I would never want to pitch myself as a cycling guru. I, I know next to nothing of it. But it struck me that he was one of the most successful in terms of winning uh, individual events at the Tour de France. Within that, can you just explain to me what his specific role for his team would be within that focus in the fact that he's never necessarily been the yellow jersey man? No, and he doesn't have the uh, physique or attributes to uh, climb the mountains and survive the, the whole event, um, as shown by um, the green jersey, which is the points jersey for winning sprints. And mm -hmm. throughout the race, he's, he's previously only won that once, mm -hmm. uh, even with all becoming equal at this stage, the most successful tour stage winner of all time alongside Eddie Merckx, he uh, would not get to the finish line mm. um, with a cat in hell's chance mm. without teammates putting themselves on the line for him all along. Anybody who's watched any of the tour coverage mm. this year will have seen that he's joined a new team and immediately mm. bonded. Michael Merckx, who, who is his lead out man, mm. he's the man that delivers him. He takes the wind right to the last. Mm. Cycling is such a technical sport. Mm. And at the end of the day, it's about cutting through air resistance. The amount of energy you expend mm -hmm. is phenomenal. The faster we go, the harder it is to cut through air. It's Talking about that, though, that blew my mind. Because as I say, um, I've always been aware of the Tour de France and obviously a keen fan of the Olympics. But for this year, because of the family connection to the Brittany events uh, in particular, we were glued to the screen. I mean, we were like, oh, it's coming up. Oh, that's a little Bhutanery. Oh, it's coming around. And obviously, you're listening into the commentary. And I'm thinking, this is sounding amazing. And you're looking at the little uh, clocks. And my goodness me, it blew my mind that they're going at 80 kilometers an hour. I thought that can't be viable. That can't, they, they, is there a mistake there? I mean, just give me an idea of the supreme athleticism that is a cyclist life. Um, so Cav, as the example, has the perfect, um, why he's been so successful is that he, he's so small. Um, he's aerodynamic. Um, he was almost the first sprinter to be that size and to show what can be done. I mean, in mm. the past, it was massive, big powerhouses, the Germans and the Eastern Europeans yeah. as well, who, who were likely to dominate. Um, the, the Chinese turned up to 2012 Olympics with uh, unbelievably large-legged <laughs> track athletes, male and female, and then could not understand how the likes of uh, Pendleton and yeah. Dora Trot, who are tiny, weeny mm -hmm. slips of mm -hmm. what, you, what you call slips of girls, were able to trounce them. Uh, showing there is more than just absolute physique, technique, mm -hmm. applying this team element. So mm -hmm. that, that team element is that Cav, you, you know, is only doing the last two, three hundred meters, but mm -hmm. he's got to the technical ability is to surf different wheels and 
navigate himself mm-hmm. through a 200 strong pack of riders doing these speeds we're talking about we've we've all seen some spectacular crashes mm-hmm. it's no surprise why that that happens as people get it's surprised to me it doesn't happen more randy the, the, well, the this, i saw them all packed together we're going at that 80 kilometers an hour and as you say it does happen it's quite spectacular in a weird way in the same way we can't help but watch a car crash kind of thing but it's astonishing to me that it doesn't happen more often yeah i mean the average the average again up to 80 k's in those finish sprints but the average for the whole four five six hour stage will be um 40 to 45 kilometers an hour now that is only possible because there are certain people sacrificing themselves mm-hmm. on the front the team members if you have a look at the tv coverage you will see them the people in the middle of the peloton mm-hmm. almost freewheeling almost having a chat well mm-hmm. they are having a chat um aerodynamics is so important within that pack you'll be saving up to 40 percent of your mm-hmm. energy as opposed to being out on your front. It's it's the birds flying in an mm-hmm. echelon. Somebody goes to the front, does the work. So the amount of work that the unsung mm. domestiques and super domestiques, mm. as we call them in cycling, um, is phenomenal. Day in, day out, putting their, their body, and they are putting their body yep. on the line. Um, and the recovery, you remember it's 21 days, mm. two rest days, um, climbing, phenomenal amounts of them mm. you know to the average even uh, leisure cyclist yeah around britain um it's hills it, it's hills that hurt people mm. um to be able to climb these at the speeds they're doing they mm. are phenomenal athletes as with all sport it's very specific mm. you ask them to run a kilometer they would they would struggle to even mm. complete it mm. Um, we get we get very good at what we train for. Yep. That's and cycling is a perfect example of that. Hence sprinters, hence hill climbers. Some people get very, very good at riding on the front uh-huh. in the wind or at a specific power output. Within there's so many nuances though. It is at its most brutal level such a simple sport, isn't it? Uh, a man fuses with machine and away they go. Would you say it would be too simplistic in terms of the level of strategy and that, of course, fusion of man and machine to put it in the kind of category of, let's say, F1? Um, I can see there's, there, are, there are parallels, but in, just in the way that um, an F1 has a little bit of strategy with, um, and I've come from a motor racing background myself as well but you know at pit stops we see yeah. how strategic they are and tire choices mm-hmm. equipment choices and it and it, so it's a very technical sport with with the equipment now with cycling pretty much everybody in it is on a very very similar mm-hmm. bicycle there are you know several different makes and different mm-hmm. wheels but the gearing is down to a personal choice mm-hmm. so it's it's not really what you would say was where the advantage comes from. Tactically, each team has a director sportif who is making calls. Mm. The unbelievable detail they go mm-hmm. to go through, looking at the roadmap for the mm. day ahead, choosing which stages might suit their. Because just as an aside, Tour de France is, is 
it's three weeks. Each stage is classed as a different race. If you win a stage, gotcha. it's a professional, professional race win. So the teams are looking to win each race individually. For some teams, coming away with one stage win will be a massive success. So you've got to contend with those tactics of those mm. teams going out for one win, as well as the teams that are trying to win the general classification. The overall and with that picture, obviously it's going to be unique to each team's uh, expectations. But I guess I'm fascinated here. I mean, it sounds to me almost like chess, whereby you've got to be considering several moves in advance to actually win the whole tour. Have they strategized it down to the minutiae from the get-go? Are they adapting that on the fly? What is the balance, would you say? They, they, they will have an absolute strategy. Uh, that will change on the fly every single day mm -hmm. through injuries to riders. Mm -hmm. It's a nutritional sport, mm -hmm. uh, crashes, mm -hmm. and having to react to what other teams have managed to pull off or achieve mm -hmm. and the time gaps and where you might get mm -hmm. those back. Um, but within a stage, that will be changing by the minute, by the hour. Um, most stages follow a pattern where a breakaway tries to form and get away. Now, that is marshaled by lots of other riders on the front trying to chase down all these breakaways, but and that takes a lot of effort to stop them getting away. Sure. Um, and if the wrong people do from another team do manage to get away and you're not part of it, that is going to throw all your plans out of the window. So picking that might... moment, picking that moment must be so optimum. My goodness me. And so you will, you will pretty much have tried to work out what every other team's tactics are as, as well as trying to implement your own. So there is an awful lot of duffel, double bluffing and strategy. <laughs> if you get one man up the road, yeah. you might suddenly change your plan to try and block the rest of the group. Yeah. Uh, or you send one man up the road so that for later on in the day, as he comes back, he can help out. There, there, are, there are so many different strategies. Andy, um, I've got to tell you, I've got to tell you, this is so educational for me. Just thinking about the thought itself of having to go through all this analysis, both you know, in advance and then as things develop, has given me something of a headache, Andy, my word. Yeah, well, I, I suppose the sport has changed over the last 10 years or so since um, in-ear in radios were allowed for the riders. You'll see them constantly yep. fiddling their ear and listening. So the DS, the direct sportive, will be giving them instructions. And you used to have to rely on the, the motorbike with a chalkboard yep. on the back of it telling them the distances that they might mm -hmm. have got breakaway. Now they're being given instruction that the DS is in a car with mm -hmm. monitors and radio feeds trying to work out mm -hmm. who's doing what, constantly telling people when to attack, mm -hmm. when to drop back and help. So. Um, you know, riders have to be capable of of taking team orders. We hear the petulance of the of the Formula One drivers and the Lewis Hamiltons of the world are getting upset if there's ever an order they don't like. Well, cyclists and there have been some high profile spitting of dummies, but in general, they know we've got a sport here where Julian Alaphilippe this year mm. has been working for Mark Cavendish. Mm. And you would think he was a, a junior pro laying his absolute um, body on the line. I use that phrase, but we understand right on the front, 
burying himself for kilometers at the at the, the sharp end um just to try and deliver Cavs sprint train to the front of a race now what other sport where would you get the prima donna world champion putting that much effort in i'm not sure there are too many to be honest you have thoroughly educated me and i found this incredibly thrilling to learn ever so much more about the wonderful world of cycling um, andy just in closing remind me about the wonderful world of ride 25 the charity one more child how can we learn more information well ride 25 is a is a is a hundred strong group that um, are attempting to ride around the world in stages, 25 stages, guess what? Um, so we've got as far as Ankara in Turkey at the moment, having, having been Paris, Rome, Istanbul, etc. Um, and each year the, the, the members raise mm-hmm. uh, over a hundred thousand pounds, which specifically supports uh, the, the orphanage in, in Ginger, which one of the, the, the members set up uh, mm-hmm. which at the moment supports I think 270 280 mm-hmm. kids with their schooling and housing um, and so it's it, it, it it's all donations it's all it's all the the good of people's so now you know they're getting a they're getting a, a ride out of it and that you know people are getting some something but that's how charity works isn't it do you know what that's so genius because somebody defined genius as kind of like doing the obvious thing that nobody else sees and to have that win-win there but again the generosity of course that makes uh these life-changing impactful um uh, projects possible is astonishing for us to either become a participant or provide our benevolence to assist this ever growing what's the best website so uh check out uh one more child uh, the org uh, itself. Um, I know we're 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 run, we're, we're trying to uh, revamp that website at the mm-hmm. moment. It's uh, to 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 uh, reflect the cycling success um, mm-hmm. and and push on with that. Uh, but also ride twenty five um, in with numbers twenty five. Mm-hmm. Um, just to just to check out what we're doing and keep abreast you know as we push on with the success of the of the cyclists um it almost comes at a cost can't start sending uh kids around the world um to participate in international comp without some uh, corporate sponsorship which mm. we're uh, which we're pushing down the line of now and we have a uh, we've, we've just been um, had a very uh, generous contribution from uh, Sigma Sports, which uh, right. who is a, a who, who is a Ride Twenty Five member himself, so uh, um, because yeah, especially for the Ugandan government, aren't particularly interested in contributing. So you know, it's uh, this year we've not been able to organise a, a ride for two years. Mm. Obviously, that that fundraising has has been very difficult. We found mm. a few other ways, but uh, that really calls on individuals generosity otherwise but once again kudos to yourself the whole team there who are just missionaries are doing something for the benefit of our world it's astonishing and a privilege to enjoy your company andy is there anything in closing you'd like to uh, remind me refresh crystallize at all i know cycling was a brilliant sport and um 
it's such an easy participation. We call it a sport, but it's a leisure activity. Mm -hmm. It's a social leisure activity. Um, you know, I'm involved in lots of different levels from club cycling to to holiday tour operators, mm -hmm. etc. And overall, it, it is such a beneficial non-load bearing sport. Nobody should be running in their middle ages. They should be cycling. <laughs> Full stop. What a message. I love it. Andy, it's been a joy to enjoy your company. I'd like to take a moment in closing to wish you, the team, there every continued strength and uh, optimised uh, benefits going forwards. I just wish to every continued joy possible. Thanks again for your time. Cheers, Tony. Thank you.